am Gabriel Bronner, and this is the Big Compute Podcast. Today's topic is improving diagnosis of complex diseases. There is new understanding that correlates variations in the DNA with the onset of diseases. Doctors may be able to run tests, catch diseases early, start treating patients, or develop new treatments. We can imagine a day when we go to a doctor's office, they take a DNA sample, run tests, tell us what is wrong, and what is the best personalized treatment for us. Uh, but what are the challenges to make this a reality? To discuss this new approach to diagnose diseases, our guest today is Mark Borodkin. Mark is Chief Operating Officer at BioNano Genomics. BioNano uses HPC in the cloud to improve the diagnosis of complex diseases. Welcome, Mark, to the Big Compute Podcast. Thank you, Gabriel. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, and we're all interested in this new topic that is evolving. Mark, uh, BioNano focuses on complex diseases, so if we wanted to start from the beginning, can you share with us what complex diseases are? Yeah, sure. Uh, so typically I, I lump them into two distinct types of diseases or disorders. There are what we call the rare disorders, uh, which uh, typically occur in, in very small subsets of the population. Um, less than 200,000 people may have a particular disorder. Um, however, there are over 7,000 of these uh, types of individual disorders that we know about. Uh, and in just the U.S. alone, there are over 25 million people living with a rare disease. Uh, so they are not very rare when you look at them in, in, in total. Uh, and, then, uh, and then the other area that we, we focus on as complex are cancers, which uh, unfortunately are not rare. Uh, but where each patient has a unique uh, cancer signature, and that cancer signature can impact how that cancer progresses in that patient and what treatments work uh, on, that, uh, on that patient. Okay, so many of the diseases, I actually went to a Nature magazine to look a little bit about uh, complex diseases, and it seems like things we know like asthma, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, many of those could be considered um, complex diseases. Is that also correct? Yes, there, there, is, uh, there are diseases also that we classify as uh, undiagnosed uh, dis diseases. Uh, so, for example, something like, uh, like autism, where it's a, it's a very complex disease. We can um, clinically tell whether a child has autism. Uh, however, we don't have uh, a definitive kind of molecular uh, or uh, genetic uh, signature for uh, the different classifications of, of, of the autism. So it is, not, it is not rare, it is not a cancer, but it is uh, in all intents and purposes an undiagnosed uh, disease. That's correct. Good to understand. So for the diseases you focus on, uh, can you tell us how the DNA changes uh, when one of these diseases uh, happens? Yeah, sure. So I, I guess let's start at the beginning. So our, our DNA that's, uh, that's captured in, in uh, our chromosomes 
uh, that encodes for for you know wh who who we are and and what happens to us at a genetic level. Um, so that that genome uh, is 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 altered constantly. So there is constant changes that happens in our, in our genome, uh, but majority of those changes cause no harm. Uh, they could be certain, let's, let's call them spelling mistakes in, in, in words uh, that uh, really don't, um, uh, don't uh, code for a particular protein uh, that, does, that does anything uh, of, of any significance. However, uh, if those alterations or variations, as we call them, uh, if they do, for example, delete a gene, then that function that that gene served uh, to, to provide uh, will be missing. Uh, and sometimes our bodies are able to compensate uh, for that missing function, but often uh, we, we, uh, we cannot compensate for it. Uh, there is a type of muscular dystrophy for example, that uh, that impacts uh, boys, um, which which is is fatal, um, uh, which causes a deletion of what's called a dystrophin gene, and uh, so that that's a loss of function of of the ability from for uh, muscles to to thrive. Um, there are there are other alterations or variations where genes that are very far apart, maybe on different chromosomes. Uh, can be fused together um, to create a new, never-before-seen be protein in the body. And that protein can cause harm, um, such as there, there is a type of leukemia called CML, uh, and such a fusion drives the, the, uh, the onset and, and progression of that, of that uh, leukemia. Uh, and there are many, many other types of structural alterations um, which, which in totality, we, we, uh, when they're large, we call structural variations. Um, so there's, there's a lot happening in us. So a lot of changes uh, happen all the time. Some of them are not a big deal, but some of them can cause some of these diseases that could be fatal. Um, That's right. Yeah. So can you tell us how, how we can go about detecting these variations in DNA to, to improve diagnosis then? Yeah, certainly. Um, so the the detection of large variations uh, we we've been we've been doing for the last uh, fifty or so years uh, with classical cytogenetics techniques. Uh, cytogenetics is, is the is the field of uh, of medical science uh, that that these fall under. Uh, some of the earliest ones that are still very much used today for for lots of uh, different types of diseases are, are called karyotyping, where you're looking at kind of chromosomes under a microsco uh, microscope. Uh, similarly, a uh, technique called southern blot. Um, and uh, more modern techniques that were introduced uh, uh, just in, in the last couple of decades, uh, fluorescence in situ hybridization and uh, array CGH. Um, most recently, DNA sequencing has been introduced, um, and its power is really to look at uh, finding small variations and less complex variations. Uh, and um, 
uh, most recently in the last few years, uh, BioNanogenomics, my company has uh, introduced optical mapping to, uh, uh, with the attempt to, to replace these, these classical cytogenetic techniques for these large variations um, and doing so in an industrial scale way. So in the things you do today, you call them optical mapping. Can you tell us how those are different or in which way they help you with a diagnose compared with other techniques? Yeah, sure. So what we do is we, we take very long pieces of DNA. Um, uh, we, we extract those from the, the cells, the, the, the human body, whether it's from blood or, or tissue. Uh, and we um, were able to prepare these uh, DNA molecules with a, a labeling chemistry that we have, uh, a fluorescent type labeling chemistry. And we're able to feed those uh, very long molecules through our consumable, which um, has uh, over 100,000 of these tiny nanochannels where we are able to then interrogate that DNA uh, and look for, for patterns that are different than, let's say, a, a healthy individual or, uh, uh, or a healthy part of, of the, the, the patient. Um, and, and so we're able to, to find various structural variations um, against kind of those, those known references. You have it like a table of the types of variations that correlate with diseases and you try to find if any of these variations is happening on this particular patient. Is that how it works? Uh, so, so uh, yes, we, we, could, uh, we could both um, look for variations that have already been discovered, um, but we oftentimes uh, people choose to use optical mapping to discover new variations that have never been uh, seen before um, to, uh, to determine kind of new markers for developing drugs uh, or other uh, uh, therapeutic interventions. I see. So one of, the, one of the promises of the genomics that we see in today would be that we go to the doctor, they understand what changes are happening, and they could also be able to prescribe a very particular treatment, correct? Depending on my DNA, there may be types of drugs that work better or have fewer side effects. Is that fair? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, you know, just um, you know, look at cancer uh, as an example. You know, we we say you know a, a person has a particular type of cancer by you know calling calling out where it occurs so you know we may say a, a, a person has a lung cancer uh, and there are uh, there are certain therapies uh, that uh, that are prescribed for a lung cancer patient and yet there is there are there are folks that respond well to that therapy but then there are folks that respond very poorly uh, to, to, that, to that therapy. And yet they have the same cancer as, as we defined it from kind of the tissue of origin. Uh, so what, why is that, right? So cancer researchers want, want to understand that. And 
what we're what we're what we've been realizing uh, in, in the recent uh, recent past is that each of these cancers, even though they may be in in the in the lung, has a different signature, a different set of variations that causes that cancer to progress differently, to respond to therapies differently. Uh, and um, so it is those signatures that we're trying to derive, uh, to discover. And, and really kind of when you think about uh, the goal of kind of this new wave of, of, uh, of, of therapies is to be able to prescribe a therapy personalized to, to you based on you know, your unique your uniqueness or your cancer genome's uniqueness. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So you can be you can detect the cancer, but you can prescribe a more effective treatment by understanding which type of lung cancer this is, for example. So that's that, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's, right. that's very good. So you have developed solutions uh, for disease diagnostics at um, BioNano. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Uh, yes. So we we um, uh, we currently have uh, or are used in a number of clinical studies. Uh, so we are not yet deployed in the clinic as a uh, as a as a test, but we are applied on uh, patients worldwide um, in an alternative research workflow. Um, and those clinical studies uh, involve uh, various leukemia, uh, leukemias. Uh, they also involve various muscular dystrophies. And in some of those studies, um, uh, researchers are interested in uh, just replacing current standard of, of care that um, uses classical cytogenetics with with something that is um, cheaper, faster, uh, and provides a higher resolution uh, of uh, of the disease uh, of disease indication that they're looking for. Um, and in some of these studies, they're looking at identifying. Um, novel biomarkers. Uh, so for example, you know, we talked about rare disease diagnostics. Well, you know, when, when, it, when a patient presents with something that is, uh, looks like a rare disease, kind of from the clinical presentation, uh, the, the success rate of actually being able to diagnose that with any test uh, ranges from 30 to 50%, depending on what indication that is. So for, for the others, for the other patients, there is no biomarker that, that's discovered um, in terms of what's causing that uh, genetic disease. So uh, folks are trying to find those biomarkers uh, because these biomarkers are kind of the predecessors, of, uh, the predecessor steps for developing a, a novel therapy, right? If you don't know what what's causing that disease, you can't develop a, a therapy for it or a drug for it. That sounds very good. Are there any early results that you're seeing or any promising results you've seen in these trials at this point? So th there's been a number of publications uh, that uh, our, our customers have, have made. Um, 
most recently, uh, there were a set of publications around uh, diagnosing a, a very difficult to diagnose uh, muscular dystrophy uh, called uh, FSHD. Um, I'll spare you with the medical term for that, uh, <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's a muscular dystrophy that um, uh, affects uh, individuals uh, in in various in, in various ways, uh, some some of them could be very debilitating, uh, and some could be could be milder. Uh, and there are uh, a, a number of um, markers that we can detect uh, that allows for the diagnosis of that disease in a, a, a more refined way, in a faster way. Uh, and um, you know we're we're hoping that, that will be adopted in uh, in the clinic uh, soon. That's very good. So you gave us a good view of the kind of things that you're able to accomplish with this um, with these new products. I I wonder if you want to say anything more about the challenges that, in general, modern genomic tools are hoping to solve. Yeah, I I I, I think we're really. Um, at the beginnings of uh, using genomics, gen genomic tools to understand uh, the, these these complex diseases, so we're, we're still we're still very early. Um, one of the things that we and many researchers are discovering is that um, often we are overwhelmed by the information that that we that we see. Uh, we detect. Um, both with BioNano, but with with other uh, technologies, uh, we, we as a community detect very many variations in the genome that look unique to patients. But which of those are actually clinically relevant to that to that disease? Um, so that is uh, that that is a looking for you know needles and haystacks and 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 often clinicians get overwhelmed by the number of, of signals that, that are discovered for their, for their patient. And uh, what they want to know is which of those are actually important to that particular uh, disease. And so uh, there's a number of these disease association studies to try to associate um, different uh, diseases with different variants. And so that is, um, that is a very uh, it's quite quite a bit of work uh, to to do to to do that and uh, um, a number of very large studies around the world are are occurring uh, today uh, to be able to do that. Oh, that's good. So in, in you're telling us um, we're at the beginning of something really. Um, uh, the more we advance, the more we'd be able to look at variations in the DNA and be able to understand um, the specific diseases, the specific treatments, et cetera. Um, can we imagine a future uh, where we get to the doctor's office and the doctor immediately runs a DNA test on us and tell us what's wrong with us, what's the treatment? Um, what are the challenges to get there? I, I, I think, so that future will, will come. Uh, that future will certainly come uh, the, um, the, the, the challenges that we're foreseeing in order to realize that, uh, are 
you know, so, some of them are technology challenges. You know, the, 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 the tools that we create need to get ever faster and uh, the results need to be generated with, uh, with less and less cost. Um, but, but those are, beyond those technology challenges, there are actually far bigger challenges um, uh, that, that, you know, we as a community need to work through. Uh, and those are around, um, for example, having genetic counselors um, uh, to be able to convey the information that's found in in your genome to in in a in in the proper context, right? Because you know sometimes we we can we can say fairly definitively that okay, this variation means that. Uh, you have this type of of a, of a disease, but more often, uh, it's usually a a, a, a a probability, right? So this variation creates a certain probability of you getting this disease or you having uh, a, a particular um, issue, and trying to convey those types of probabilities. Uh, in a clinically relevant way is, is done by genetic counselors. And you know, frankly, we're gonna have a shortage of genetic counselors. Um, and uh, you know, there are um, a lot of companies today that are looking at uh, AI as being a way to, uh, to help with uh, genetic counselors to be able to, to, um, you know, to, to, to support a greater population of, uh, of patients. Um, so in this case, AI would be used when you get a genetic result, AI will give you not only a probability, but will suggest a course of action to you, something like that. Uh, that that's, that's right. That's right. So that, that would, that's, a that's one of the, the key things that people are looking, looking for. Uh, AI can, can also help with, uh, uh, things like, you know, um, understanding kind of the research literature to, uh, uh, to derive uh, or, or, or help derive uh, kind of new uh, ways of looking at, uh, at that particular disease, uh, uh, figuring out what therapeutics would be most suitable for that particular signature. Right. So I know, for example, it's being used, AI is being used in, in radiology, right, to understand if there's a disease that can be found on an image, similarly, we could uh, use AI to start finding correlations between gene modifications and diseases. Is that a thought that could be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of work going into that, yes. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. And the part that you talk about counseling, I mean, there's been a lot of advertised cases, publicized cases of people that get a DNA test and decide decide a course of action, assuming they're going to get breast cancer or something like that. Is that where counseling becomes a key important thing after getting a DNA test? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there is, um, yes, there's a lot of empowerment with, with knowing, um, you know, knowing more about your genetic predispositions to a particular disease. Um, however, with, with that, comes uh, some uncertainty and um, so genetic counselors help help to navigate uh, 
navigate those waters with patients. That is definitely interesting. We'll look at uh, all the possibilities of the future of understanding our DNA will bring. Uh, Mark, let's switch gears a little. Um, you chose to use um, HPC in the cloud uh, for DNA analysis. Uh, can you talk to us uh, about that choice and how you are using HPC in the cloud today to make this a reality? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, I, I, I think the, um, we came to a realization uh, a couple of years ago that we are, we are far out, outpacing uh, Moore's law. Um, so we're, we're outpacing traditional compute, um, bo both by uh, our ability to generate patient data or collect patient data, uh, the genomics of patients more quickly, uh, but also in our ability to look at more and more uh, complex events uh, in, in those DNA molecules. So we're, we're, we're able to process more patients, but, and we need more compute to look at more complex events in, in, the, in the genome. And so we looked at uh, HPC in the cloud as the best way for us to be able to scale uh, with what we're doing today and what we envision to be doing uh, in, in the future. Uh, so that, that allows us to scale more quickly uh, you know, and answer the questions uh, you know, far, far more quickly than we could with, with traditional compute. So effectively, you take a DNA sample, you do some processing, and then you submit that to your HPC in the cloud platform. Is that how it works? Yeah, that, that's that's right. That's right. And uh, so we we've we've chosen uh, to have kind of an, uh, let's call it an in, uh, an integrated HPC in the cloud uh, solution uh, with Rescale, uh, and um, so so that allows us to. Uh, as soon as we get the data off of our uh, instruments, to be able to push that into uh, uh, into the cloud, uh, and in the cloud resides our bioinformatics uh, pipeline, uh, which then uh, crunches through that through that data and allows us uh, to um, to get results much faster for you know, a, a large number or large cohorts of, of patients at the same time. Very good. Um, so it's very interesting, Mark. I mean, clearly you're pushing the boundaries. Um, you're looking at a field that is nascent, like uh, genomics and understanding complex diseases and the right treatments. Um, are there any learnings uh, from the process you're going through, both in pushing the boundaries in your field and in pushing the boundaries of computing or what you're doing? Anything you'd like to share for people listening that could be in your area or other areas that may get uh, inspired by what other people are doing? Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the the things that we realized pretty early on as as we were researching which way to go with the cloud um, was that uh, we we really wanted to provide a solution to our researchers and clinicians that is uh, fairly easy to use. Um, so, I mean, we, one option 
uh, that we had in the beginning was just to, let's say, do it ourselves, right? So put our pipeline in a, in a container, package it you know, on AWS or one of the other cloud providers and uh, you know, write some application notes and, and have our users uh, go at it uh, and, and, and use that with, with their own accounts. And what we, you know, what we realized very quickly is that the vast majority of our customers uh, will be will be very turned off by that because they are, you know, their their job is not to understand the jargon of the cloud. Their their job is just to get um, get data so that they can make insightful um, uh, you know findings of, of their patients. Uh, so we decided to really abstract the HPC and the cloud as, as much as possible uh, for them through through our software and through the rescale platform and so that you know, our customers you know all they need to know is uh, the, the the security and and the, the performance guarantees that that we make uh, and you know the, the, the computing gets gets done in the cloud and all their data gets gets returned uh, and they don't have to worry about uh, kind of the, the, the new ways that Amazon or Google are going to be doing, uh, you know, the, the ways, the ways, you know, the new jargon that, that they're going to introduce uh, tomorrow. Yeah, makes sense. So your customers really would do genomics work and they don't have to worry about computing. And that's, uh, that's a plus for them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's very good. Listen, Mark, it's is been very interesting to listen to you. Uh, this idea that um, we go to the doctor, they take a DNA sample, they understand how our DNA has changed, from there detect exactly the disease we have, and also what's the best treatment for our changes uh, seems to change medicine, right? So the future of medicine is not going to be what it used to be, that, as you said, at some point, lung cancer has a particular treatment but it may work for some and not for others. We're gonna be much more precise with this idea of uh, more personalized medicine. So um, we, we look forward to the future and I think uh, we'll get to see it as, as doctors start using more and more of the tools uh, you and others are working on. Uh, before we close, is there anything you'd like to add for, for our audience? Yeah, I, I just would, you would like to say you know, that um, I, I, I think our transition to the cloud, uh, providing this cloud offering to the customers, was uh, you know, certainly enabled by the, the by the unique capabilities that uh, Rescale has. Uh, you guys are you know, have made our lives uh, easier in this transition, uh, and um, you know we are definitely looking forward and and using using this offering to uh, to its full potential. Well, I appreciate your kind words. I'll, I'll relay them to the team that, that made that happen. So thank you very much. So Mark, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. And uh, so basically to close, um, I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Mark Brodkin, uh, Chief Operating Officer at BioNanogenomics to help us see a better future. Thanks to advances in the understanding of our DNA and in the tools that significantly change our ability to diagnose complex diseases. Till next time, I am Gabriel Bronner, and this was the Big Compute Podcast.